0: Hello. Didn't see you there. My name is Kevin Satorius, a guest of the podcast Nerds on History, to share with you our other wonderful and fun-filled podcast, Nerds on Film. I, along with the hosts, Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, and David McGuire, love to talk about movies and would love to share that with you. Come join us as we share stories, debates, and theories of our favorite movies and new releases, too. As a frequent guest of Nerds on Film, if you're a movie fan like me, you'll want to grab some popcorn and a cool beverage to sit back, relax, and enjoy our show.
1: Sound check. Sound check. Sound check. Check one. Check two. Eric. Yes, sir? I have got the best surprise for you today. Mm, Have you now? Yeah, you remember how my uncle works in show business? Yep. Yeah, it turns out he's got quite the connection, and I've got... A very special guest on our show today. Who? Mr. Jeff Goldblum. No. Uh uh. No, believe me? No. no. Oh, no. He's just in the other room. Here. Uh, Mr. Goldblum, here. Come on in. Hi. Hi.
2: I'm, uh, I'm Jeff Goldblum. Is he going to be okay?
1: I think so. Eric? <laughs> Looks like it's just the two of us today.
2: Well, you know, let's just, uh, Let's get this party started. Do you have any smelling salts? I actually left that at home.
0: Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Eric Brickmont, and I am Brian Moriarty. How you doing, sir? You know, I am. Uh, I'm actually really excited. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling kind of giddy. Yeah,
1: well, I'm glad you came to your senses. Uh because, you know, after passing out like that, you know
0: Yeah, you
2: scared us for a second there.
1: <laughs> we are sitting here of course with the great Jeff Goldblum. Oh uh,
2: Mr. Goldblum. Yeah. This is pretty surreal.
0: Uh, yeah, that's what I usually that's what I usually get. Uh when I meet fans. <laughs> and you know, I have to thank you for inviting us up to uh you know, to your hotel room to, to record this. That's I mean it would be embarrassing to take you to where we normally no, record. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. But yeah. thank you again so much for, for letting us come up. And, and you know, um, we should probably explain to our listeners <laughs> why this is even happening, because this is pretty, pretty yeah, surreal. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: a big deal to us, because this is our 30th episode. It is. Mm. And, and we've come a long way, even though we've only been doing this for six months only or so. six months, really? Yeah. 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 Wow. Uh, thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. So we decided it'd be fun if we took a little tour back and maybe took one factor that we didn't get to share from all of our previous episodes right and really give a, the audience a little extra something special
0: to take home with you but before we do that I mean we should probably explain how we actually know Jeff Goldblum because there's gonna be many people who are gonna be doubting oh, oh yes yeah. so, so my uncle, um, my
1: uncle's an actor and he uh, for many years went to no, lived in New York he went to Juilliard of course mm-hmm. and uh Jeff, M- Mr. Goldblum, sorry, uh, you... Uh, uh, Jeff is fine. Jeff it's, is fine. Okay, yeah, so Jeff, you were actually in New York around the same time my uncle Yes, was. yes, 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 that is true. I was. It was, it was a
2: fun time. Uh, we, you know, used to bar hop, you know, back in the day when we were young Gunners. Um, mm. This is uh, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah I'm,
1: I'm pretty starstruck. I can tell from when
2: you hit the floor there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and the whole reason this even happened is because, uh, as it turns out, you're actually a pretty big history buff. Yes, yes, I do. Uh like to
2: dabble in you know the past, and uh, it's uh, it's interesting, definitely interesting to learn about the past so that way we won't have to go through it again in the present time and the future.
1: So I'm curious, just before we jump into this, what era of history is is your, oh, your favorite? Oh, uh,
2: I love it all. Um, you know, uh,
1: Civil War, uh,
2: you know, uh, uh, what else is there? Uh, help me out here, Brickmon. Uh You know all about
0: it. Egypt. Egypt, of course, is my yes. personal
1: favorite. Um, you know, Chinese culture. Uh, we haven't done anything on the Civil War or in China. That might be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. we're really going to have to episode. incorporate that in producing. Ideas, soon. you yeah. know,
2: that's what I'm here for, right?
1: <laughs> there you go. See, we just got some little bit of professional advice. Ah. There you go. There you go. Going back to the very, very beginning, our, our first, first episode, episode, the Mongoose Equation. Yeah. Ooh. Seems so like you, so long ago. Yeah, we were talking about this episode before, and you found out another interesting piece of info from pyramids. We talked about how China has pyramids, of course, which was a big shock to me. Mm. Of course, it goes without saying, Egypt had pyramids. The Mesopotamians had a pyramid type item, the ziggurat. And then, um, well, then we also the Meso- talked about
0: Mesoamericans and, of course, the North Americans and their pyramids, which were more mound. Uh, shape right. and, and I'm sure our listeners want to hear me say mound again, because yeah. I said it like 40 times that episode. But I'm going to say it again, because w- through my research, and researching particularly mound-type structures and what have you, I did find that, to my amazement, which I had no idea, that the aboriginals of Australia also built mound pyramids. And I had no idea. I, I had found this out just not very long ago, indeed, but uh, they haven't been building them for, for many, many years. Now, of course, it's been about 200 years, really, since they've been in construction, and you'll find that uh, they were made primarily earthen, right, so they're made out of out of earth, they were made out of dirt that was transported and moved over, and then uh, what you would find happening is that the seeds that would be naturally pulled up within that dirt would remain behind, and so the mounds themselves would look very hill-like, you know, they would be covered with natural grass and what have you, but they were very distinct in their appearance. Uh, so much so that the sheep that the British brought with them, when they set up their penal colony at Botany Bay, noticed them right away. Oh, yes. They, found them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they found them to be quite attractive. And as the sheep did, not just uh, to, the, to the mounds of the aboriginals, but to all of Australia, they, uh, they completely and totally devoured the majority of the grass in the area and
1: That is wild. Them. That is yeah. so
0: wild. I can't believe that. That's great. That's
1: so awesome. Well, um, I've got another one since we talked about our second episode. The Forgotten
0: Network. Forgotten right? Network. Of course, about mm. television, the history of television. Yes, that was.
1: Well, you were talking about, of course, your contri- contribution was the mechanical television that existed, and it was the vertical rasters and all this stuff, and it was hand crank powered. Well, actually, I found that uh, there was an early patent in the 1900s for a, or late 1900s, sorry, for a um, steam powered mechanical. No. Steam powered, yeah, really, Really? indeed, yes, and you you can imagine it it is what it looked like. It was actually quite bulky because you had a this small engine basically that had to in the
2: actual TV. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. It had a little chimney on the top of it as well, a little smokestacker. That's that's wild. Yeah, and uh, it never obviously went into production because you would have to route the chimney of that into the main chimney of the house, and it just it created too much of a. Too much noise. Too much noise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and plus this is also the issue where, uh, of course, it was developed in Britain, and then the whole issue with London fog. No, London fog being yellow from all the pollution, they didn't want to contribute to it, so really they couldn't get any, couldn't really get any investment Mm. from that. So probably better off though because we found something much, much more powerful with electrical televisions later on. Well, thank God.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I really want a
1: steam powered television in my, in my living room. <laughs> Sell out pretty quick. I, haven't yeah. really I will also say though, since we're getting to one of my favorite episodes, the, the superheroes one where we talked about mm. the mythical ones, I was really surprised to find out that you found out one that I, th- I would never have seen
0: coming. Yeah, apparently Jeff Goldblum is the inspiration for all superheroes. <laughs>
1: I, I
2: wouldn't doubt it. Not, not in the
0: least. Uh, they got the, the cool
2: part down, yeah.
0: Well, you uh, are to me anyhow. Oh, thank you. Thank you uh, for no, that, but what I had that. found was pretty fascinating and, and jeff you had mentioned that you were fascinated by chinese culture so i, I think love it i love it you're gonna find this absolutely fascinating What's going on? uh there is a very very old chinese story that has been passed down for many many generations and it, it goes to around about a thousand ce uh-huh. uh so or thousand eighty depending on you know what you go with or what you follow right, 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 but uh it is the origin of this incredible story about this chinese man and his name was Yang Zi Gong. Yang Zi Yang Zi Gong. And he was said to have been born from the web of a spider. You don't say. Yeah, from the silk that was produced by this like almost silk-like webbing that was born. Hmm. And that he was so sought after because of this, because he himself could actually produce this kind of silken-like web. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that the Chinese emperor uh, captured him and kept him in servitude. And forced him to essentially create this uh, this very special silk for him, mm. uh, and it was said to have been super strong, extremely, you know, powerful. This uh, sounds familiar. If we're talking superheroes, I'm just saying <laughs> it yeah. sounds a little bit like Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. They're... And it kind of blows my mind because not only that, but he was actually capable of projecting that silk and being able to use it to oh, to wow. aid in his in his movement and his eventual escape mm. from servitude. Uh, it's it's pretty wild, and it goes on and on for you know several different verses yeah. uh, until eventually the 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 emperor sends out people to go and find him and bring him back, and there's all this commotion, and lots of battle, you know, f- you know ensues and what have you. Well, I'm um, gonna have to look that up. Yeah, it's pretty pretty incredible. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Stan Lee being the learned man that he is, yeah. you know, was looking for any inspiration at all he could find. And of course he had to put a, a modern twist on it, right? Of With a radioactive spider or things of that nature. But actually able to uh, to take some inspiration, I wouldn't be surprised if it was mm. from this uh, from this amazing story. Yes, yeah, of course. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so awesome. I tell uh, you,
2: those Chinese man, they just crazy. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of my favorite episodes from very early on, we talked about Mars. And as you all know, our listeners, that I am definitely a, uh, a big-time space buff. You know, I volunteer up at League Observatory, and I'm an amateur astronomer. My father, oh, he's very much involved in the whole process. Uh, you should come to a star party sometime, Jeff. Yeah. I'll have to check my... Uh, uh, planner. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely though, yes. I'm glad to see that you have an iPhone though. That, that that's uh, encouraging. Yeah. You know, I actually if I may digress, I was a spokesman for Apple for that's quite right. a while. The know, was the voice of the it, iMac. Exactly. That's right. Um, so I got a lot I got deep history with uh, Apple. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That's And great. of
1: course, he's along with such prestigious actors as Jeff Daniels, who's the current voice Mm-hmm. And uh, Peter Coyote, who had done yeah, the original they, iPad commercials as well. They just so. got rid of me, though, and kept those guys. But, you know, it's it's fine. I'm sure they're waiting to call you back. And, and, you know, I stand by my phone every day. Yeah, you should get free Apple for life for doing that, <laughs> for doing those commercials. Tell me about it. <laughs> I just remember that line, it's insane. It's insane, right? have you been, Have you been in thinking jail? <laughs> it's like with the beige com- computers. <laughs>
2: uh.
0: Well, anyway, back to the Sorry. point. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> Anytime Jeff wants to digress, I digress I, with Jeff. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. But, uh, Jeff, I'm very much into, into space and astronomy, and, and Mars was the subject of, of our fourth episode. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, what I found fascinating, and, and you may not have heard much about it lately because it's been overshadowed by a lot of other stuff going on in the news, but recently uh, a very small additional satellite has now been caught <laughs> and is in Martian orbit. Really? Because Mars has two moons: it has Deimos and it has Phobos or Phoebos, excuse me, and it has now a third companion, oh, uh, really? which has been named uh, Harpeus. So now we have Harpeos who is joining the, the, ah, the third, well, welcome, uh, new moon <laughs> to Mars and uh we'll be getting some more information on it soon we have the the Mars uh, sur- surveillance orbiter that is in orbit and it is primarily looking down on the planet but mm. they're seeing if they can reposition it in one of its auxiliary cameras to see if they can actually capture an image of it soon but it's so small and it's hey, oh, orbit sh- is so erotic er- erotic Ooh. Hey.
2: Uh,
0: er- erratic <laughs> at the moment <laughs> that it's very difficult to uh to actually capture an image of it but more to come soon, and I'm sure we will have a, an update for our listeners going forward. Well, I
1: know that there are many astronomers who are waiting with bated breath. Yes, on that one, I got another one. So that brings us to our fifth episode, which was that that's a law. Yeah, and it's where we talked about lots of insane laws, very in, popular in our country episode. and domestic. Yeah? yeah, I've got one for you, Eric. Did you know that in Finland, it is illegal to stomp your feet? I did not know that. I'm assuming it's a very old law. It's a very old law. So for those who don't know. Sweden invaded Finland in the 13th century and or is it the 13th or 14th century and conquered them. And I'm sure the Finnish know. If you're out in Finland, hey, hello. But um, as it turns out uh, it's a symbol symbol of uh, when the Swedish soldiers were marching into these villages, they would stomp their feet very belligerently, like it was their land. Wow. Very loudly, I'm assuming. Very, very loudly. So, it is now as a custom, to stomp your feet is to say, you are taking ownership of your land. Well, it's, and it's, I mean, yeah, sure, to finish, it's their own country now, but it's such a sign of disrespect, because it was the practice of their conquerors. Wow. Even almost a thousand years ago. So, this I is... Mean,
0: a, that's going on right now? Well, I imagine it's probably not being enforced I don't think it's being enforced or else we'd see hordes and hordes of two year olds being you know thrown into prison
2: (laughs) you you guys are bad you laugh at that shame on you
1: (laughs) there are no rattles in prison (laughs) um, yes indeed you found something interesting too right
0: yeah well uh, our episode after that of course was our our shortest episode it was um, probably good because we had had a couple of drinks while we were doing it (laughs) but it was our episode on beer
2: (laughs) Ah, we were were just doing research is what it was (laughs) exactly
0: and exactly we were were partaking to be in in the role in the, the role yeah and I found it very interesting that papyrus in ancient egypt was actually in addition to being used uh for paper mm. also used to distill another form of alcohol and this is really fascinating one of my coworkers that i used to work with at the uh, at the egyptian museum here in san jose uh, forwarded this to me a couple of weeks ago and i just mm. i've been waiting for an opportunity to kind of mention it i thought this is perfect but uh beer in egypt of course was made from bread that was baked And then water was sifted through it. And then the fermentation process was aided by sugars that were put in, like honey, but the yeast inside the beer would cause also the fermentation to to occur. What I thought is fascinating is that now believe that papyrus stalks were cut, uh, and then when they were sent off and used for other materials, the the base of them, uh, the root, if you will, was left behind. And what they would do is they would boil this Mm. and they would boil it to the point where it became very soft, very mushy, almost gum-like substance. And they would then keep it in a small uh, vessel, yeah, a small small clay vessel. And they would also pour water over it. And this water would very, very slowly, over the period of possibly weeks, sift through this gum-type material. And there's something in it that causes a a much more extreme fermentation. Uh, And what you would have is essentially this tiny, almost shot glass-looking container then with a very small amount, but a very, very potent alcohol. And they've done experimental archaeology with it now, and they've found that, you know, it is essentially the same color, almost even the same taste, and you can only really make a small amount over several weeks, but it's pretty much like tequila,
2: but they don't sell it at Bevmo, do they? Because that sounds good.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, no, not sold at Bevmo yet. Uh, too bad. <laughs> it takes a long time to make. Yeah. But I found that to be pretty fascinating. Yeah,
1: definitely. Well, that brings us to our theater episode. Ooh, uh, it's a grabber.
2: <laughs> I,
1: you have my attention. So here's one. Um, we talked a little bit about Shakespeare. Yes, a little bit about the Elizabethan era. We didn't really go into too much detail. Well, there's been some new evidence that's been discovered uh, from Shakespeare, uh, from his early life. It t- turns out while he was trying to make a living as a playwright in London to help supplement his bills, he was in fact um, a clown for bear baiters. <laughs> yeah, kind of like a kind of like a, a precursor to to a rodeo clown. For those who don't remember, the bear baiting is when they would take the theater. And they would um, they would starve a bear for three days. And then they would stick it against three dogs. <gasps> and uh, and basically, you would see who
0: would win. Would the dogs eat the bear? Would the bear eat the dogs? I have to stop you because I never thought I'd say these words, but... Jeff Goldblum and I are looking at each other in total amazement and disbelief.
2: <laughs> I I, uh,
0: <laughs> I never thought I would say those words.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I never heard of
0: um a, a bear bear baiting. Bear baiting. Bear baiting, yeah. That's yeah. a new one. I mean, I knew of the practice from our previous episode, but Shakespeare was involved in the process? He was. Yeah. It what was What do you mean by a clown? Are you, are you talking like like, like a, like a rodeo rose. clown? Basically like a, like a
1: rodeo clown, yeah. Ah. So he would like run around and he would um you know, if you are betting on either the dogs or the bear, he would work for one of those those betting people. So you'd have one clown that would go and try to distract the bear away from the dogs. And you have another clown trying to distract the dogs away from the bear. He was he would you know, go back and forth between the two of them. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't go out of it entirely unscathed. He did lose one of his toes. This is wild. And, and all the while, one of the skirmishes making
2: yeah. Romeo and Juliet. And... It's
1: funny you bring it up because yeah. actually shortly after this, that's when... Romeo Juliet was bought and he never had to go back to doing bear bathing because that was just go. a wildly successful play wow. of him so <laughs> who would have thought right that's insane that's totally that is crazy
2: I do uh, I feel sorry for his toe though that uh, uh, that's gonna get you. yeah we <laughs> too far with the ladies and with the missing toe. there's
1: archaeologists in, uh, in England trying to find Shakespeare's toe because that's gonna go very much in the British uh, Museum of Natural History wow you
0: just, you just see a little toe that's that's <laughs> absolutely mind-blowing that's pretty crazy um, my, the next episode was our uh, Imhotep's a Badass. Oh, I love that episode. Mm. One of my favorite episodes of all time. This is our mummification episode. Egypt in general is just amazing. I love it. Have you ever been? No. We should go. Jeff Goldblum and I are going to go to Egypt. Who's going
1: to pay for it? Uh,
0: <laughs> um, this guy over here. <laughs> I have more
1: Thanks, guys. Uh. <laughs> Appreciate it.
2: Great. No We're one of us happens
1: to be an Academy Award-nominated actor. I'm just, just gonna. I have just gonna no idea who that, that is. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> someone may have, actually have the paycheck to pay for a flight to Egypt. Uh, <clears throat> any, anyway, what we'll, you're uh, being
0: catty with Jeff Goldblum right now. I, I you know This is a one. I think I am.
1: Yeah, that's. <laughs> you know, what? Right,
0: calm down. No, let's do this. So, let's do this. Uh, again, one of my favorite episodes of all time, and a really interesting factoid. That, uh, that I didn't just get a time to get around to was when the Egyptians were mummifying, many times they would place all sorts of different things on the body. Uh, they would fabricate you know, missing limbs, they would place amulets for sacred protection, uh, they would even create eyes out of glass and they would place them in place in the sockets where the, mm. where the eyes were previously. And the cucumber... Which is, of course, a staple of the ancient Egyptian diet. I mean, it was grown in pretty much every single Egyptian garden because it was a natural fil- filtration device. You know, it would take the, the tainted water that was still used for irrigation, but it would actually suck only the good stuff out of it and be an excellent source of hydration for them. Mm. And be very re- refreshing, I imagine, it was Very well. refreshing. In fact, they oftentimes would eat it for breakfast. That's what it was used for. Uh, but it was also used in the sacred ceremonies. And they would cut it in very thin slices, and they would place them over the eyes of the mummies. And you know, it's pretty wild because you think about what modern parallel do you hear about that today? Well, of course, because when you enter the the next world you don't want to have baggy eyes. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> so if you go to like a I beauty mean, parlor today, that's exactly what you'll find today. Now of course this is absolutely no connection to to the modern practice, but what is fascinating that the the Greeks, through their trade with Egypt and their time spent in Egypt, uh had viewed mummifications. We know this because of the writings of Herodotus and a few other contemporaries of his time and a little bit before that. Mm-hmm. And the practice of placing coins on the eyes of the deceased uh, is now believed to possibly be in this connection with, uh, with the cucumber slices. It's oh. totally wild, but it's uh, absolutely true. I would take the cucumber because you can eat it and <laughs> uh, help your
2: uh, fellow friend
0: or passing, but at the same time, get a snack. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they would eat them after they were placed on desiccated remains but it's possible what a waste it is possible <laughs> now Brian we were of course talking about that, that cursed podcast that well, one we had all that trouble with
1: where we didn't record until
0: 1230 at night yes which yeah, was so because, appropriate wow. because Mr. Goldblum yeah. uh, oh. that was our Halloween episode yeah. uh, because
1: it, it involved me having to go back to my house get my computer and then use that because we tried making it work on your computer and we just couldn't
0: get it to work and it was like the third time that we had tried to meet and we had all these different things that were causing uh, issues yeah, absolutely it was ridiculous but anyway we, got to do it we did okay yeah. Yeah. yeah it was a great episode well, let's just Good. say a
1: late night run to in n out was involved because we were so tired we need we oh, need some energy
0: <laughs> i love
2: in n out there animal fry
1: yeah but anyway <laughs> sorry um so we, we talked a lot about two big characters we talked a lot about general traditions but we talked a lot about Vlad Tepish, who we know we of course as, as, as Dracula as it turns out though his, his blood thirst that we now attribute to being a vampire was is very much true but for a while he he had this fixation with milk yes with cow's milk and um, it was not uncommon for him to to with all of his armed men go and seize the cattle from farmers in the area and if, if they wouldn't take it willingly they would take him by force
0: yeah and of course, those who would you know oppose him would oftentimes be yeah killed by his trademark uh he execution was execution technique
1: obsessed with the stuff he thought it was like the, the the nectar of immortality, and he would he would literally drink it straight from the udder wow. of the cows yeah and uh, once the once the the cow could not produce any more milk, slaughtered all of them ah. yeah which so steak everywhere and it was just great for the. The people of Romania, because the people
0: of Romania actually ate very well during his times. Absolutely. Because he, he didn't have enough for himself, or
1: he had way too much for
0: himself. Well, so. I mean, milk for thousands of years in the ancient world had been viewed as being very pure. Uh, the cow, as you see in India, is a sacred animal. Its milk is, is sacred. Correct. There are many stories of Cleopatra, for example, bathing in milk because it was very pure. It was a, it was something that was very godly to do. Right. And so many of those stories survived and and passed over into into medieval Europe. It's really not a big surprise that uh, somebody like that would fixate on something like milk. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because of course,
1: when you accumulate that much power, your your mind gets fixated on how to maintain that power, right? And he assumed that he would just want to live forever. Yeah, and uh which I guess could, could kind of tie into the
0: whole vampirism, yeah, absolutely. thing as well. Just as strange to think of it as milk, but when you put it into context, it it really does make sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Oh, of course, Um we had the election, the of the tail That's right. Yeah, literally, we released it the day before. Yeah, perfect. The election timing. Tuesday. Yeah. It's yeah, just the way that the year just came around, it was absolutely it was perfect. Perfect. Uh, yeah. yeah, which one was this? This was our election episode. So this is so we did right presidential the factoids. Yeah, okay. what it was. Yeah. And one that I left out, and I, I think I left it out partially because I wasn't quite sure what Didn't our audience fit. was going to be. And, you know, we're still kind of early in, in the show, but something so fascinating. Um, we talked a lot about John Adams, our second mm. president of the United mm-hmm. States. And uh, we talked a little bit about Abigail. Adams who was his wife and his confidant somebody that he used to bounce ideas off and all the time very heavily influential in his decision making as well yeah. yeah and what i've found though through doing a little bit of additional research is that she was actually quite the connoisseur of erotic art oh uh and you know it, it's come out recently but it's it's really quite fascinating because you know that john adams before his role as president of course he spent quite a bit of time in france Uh, along with Benjamin Franklin. And Abigail Adams, after being so absent from him for so many years, made this incredible trip out there to see him where she really continued to uh, embrace this eye of hers for the human form and she collected as much of this art as possible. And it's, it's absolutely wild. And of course, you know, John Adams, he couldn't go ahead and have all this coming back with him on the ship. I mean, obviously, he had other roles and responsibilities, but he was sending his wife back home Uh, And so what I find to be so appropriate is that Benjamin Franklin appropriated, or I guess inappropriated, (laughs) as we might say, a lot of that artwork Mm. and he himself transported it back for Abigail Adams uh, on his journeys back and forth Ah. between uh, America and and France. That's a good friend. Yeah, pretty wild. I mean, there is reports that she had stuff that was ancient, literally, like Roman Mm. frescoes that that depicted, you know, acts of, of sex and what have you. And, I mean, we're talking, you know, a couple thousand years old in her collection. Yeah,
1: and, I mean, to have that hang in even in an American household, I mean, America at that time was so heavily influenced by the British, and the British were so repressed yeah. in that regard, that seeing that, which has been shocking, been yeah. utterly shocking. But it
0: was almost kind of like an insult to the British, you know, yeah. to say that here's this now new nation, new freely thinking. And, you know, the, the Adams were very much liberal-minded. Abigail Adams spoke out against a lot of things going on in the country at the time, including yeah. women's rights, and against slavery, and against all of this stuff, and it makes perfect sense to me that she would be so open to, you know, as crazy as it sounds, but collect erotic art. That's good. Yeah. 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 that's Yeah.
1: Well, here's a weird one for you. So, uh, our next episode after that was talking about uh, domesticated animals. Yeah. Mm. Right. Demise and of Floppy the Rabbit. Poor Floppy. Floppy. the rabbit. <laughs> Poor old Floppy. Indeed. But um, we were talking about all these different practices and how they developed, and I found a really weird one, that uh, the aborigines in in Australia would, I mean, it's not uncommon for us, given the size of the the spiders, they they try to domesticate tarantulas.
2: Tarantulas?
1: Yeah, they do try to keep, they try to domesticate tarantulas. But what's even weirder is, because tarantulas are usually known for running away, um, they keep them on, I hate to say it, it's kind of weird, but almost like a leash. Of some hmm. kind, like like a lead or something, like, like mm. a leave rope, basically yeah. that's um, woven together from the inner bits of reeds that grow near near the the shores.
2: That is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and you've been to hot. Australia, right, Jack? Uh, a couple times, yes, yes. I try to stay away from my
0: tarantulas. I'm <laughs> uh, not a big fan of that one. Have um, you ever seen any of that? I mean, uh, they're supposed to be absolutely enormous. Uh, no, yeah, no, no, no. Mm-mm. Well, good for you. <laughs> You're lucky. You, you may very well have, have seen some and not even known it. I mean, they, they apparently are about the size of small dogs in Australia. Really? So you may have just thought that maybe they're walking around on a leaf. I
2: probably one and called him uh, Fido. <laughs> <laughs> Who
1: knows? Uh, yeah, well, well that's, that's, that's uh, bizarre. And then, of course, that brought us to our our famous Thanksgiving episode where Nerds on Film and Nerds on History joined forces. Yeah, it was a great one. And uh, did one on the history of Thanksgiving.
2: Yum. Turkey. Okay, so what I found out is that the pilgrims actually uh, dried their turkey uh, for long periods of time to uh, keep it flavored, flavorful. And fresh, I would assume. I would assume. If it it was for a long period, uh, that jerky was probably good to to eat, nice and tender, uh,
0: succulent, uh, but at the same time, crispy. My guess is you subscribe to Scientific American. Yes, yes. Because I iPad. read that exact same article. No. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a fascinating. Yeah. It was, it was pretty just... wild. And uh, have you read it? You, no, you, you I don't haven't. have it, dude. Do you? you don't. Subscribe no, I don't to you. subscribe you to you it. You can get no. it on your iPad now. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Good uh, to know. I want to say it was maybe two or three issues back I don't remember but uh, it was this really interesting article on, on excavations that they've done in and around that area you know they're extensive at Jamestown but they've also done stuff over in and around Plymouth Yes, and they have found the actual jerky itself they found remnants of it and you know it's impossible to really date it to this particular meal, but they suggested it would have made sense that why would they have eaten all the turkeys fresh? Why wouldn't they have just gone ahead and, and preserved them and jerky? Exactly. them? Exactly. Yes yeah. for uh, later on events. You yeah, know? for sharing them with their with their allies at the time, with exactly. the, the Native American tribes who were there to support them. And it's, uh, it's pretty wild. But yeah, turkey jerky. Turkey jerky it's from, from pilgrims. the pilgrims. Unbelievable. I, I love the episode we did with Sarah, the one where we. I want my did, Yeah. Yeah, where we did the yeah. kind of envisionings of the future, and Jeff, God, I wish you were there. Uh, uh, the fly himself. <laughs> Would have yeah. been so cool to have there. <laughs> but I'll tell you, uh, we talked a lot about uh, Leonardo da Vinci mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm. this guy of amazing insight and, and vision, Imagination. and yeah, just be able to look into the future. And they have found some some recent writings left over from Da Vinci that have talked and explored more about his ideas and and his visions, and what's interesting though is that they found a very small snippet, just a a little recanting, a little retelling of a story that has caused this, you know, sensation. Mm -hmm. Now they're trying to look and find any other documents they can to to support this, and there's some people who say it might actually be a fake, that it's not real, but all indications are from what we can tell. This is written by the the hand of Da Vinci himself. Okay. You're going to... This is pretty crazy. He came up with the idea of a scuba suit. No. No way. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. But it was meant for people who were, you know, counteragents who were trying to sneak in, or if they had blown out a bridge and they wanted to get somebody across the shores to the other side to perform, you know, scouting missions or whatever. I don't know. Should have just made a a jetpack for for that matter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he had something written up for it. But... He tells of this failure, though, in testing out the suit. And he was actually working in France at the time. He was working for the the French king. And uh, the king had demanded an actual test, and he had very little time to do this. And he says how horrified he was in in the eventual death of the person who tried out the suit. And there's not a lot of details as to how it was put together, because we don't have any blueprints or anything like that. But Uh I keep imagining and and conjuring in my mind this kind of old-timey... I guess scuba suits, right? Yeah, yeah. Where they had like the little glass window in the front, you know, they're very typical. Yeah, Yeah. and you really weren't—they weren't really
1: good for moving necessarily. They
0: were just kind of protective barrier between you and the ocean exactly and he and he makes comment to the fact that it had a large tube connected to it that would provide him with the air that he needed uh but the problem was it was extremely heavy apparently because he makes reference to it getting stuck in the sediment and in the silt and him unable to free himself from the suit uh and terrified that he's going to die in fact they had to call a priest over to read him his last rites through the actual air tube that was providing him with uh, the oxygen that he needed, and uh, eventually the the suit just began to deteriorate and fill with water, and oh, yeah. uh, and he drowned to death. And Da Vinci apparently was so embarrassed, so horrified by this that you know we don't really have much of this left. Uh, we only have this this telling of this story, and so now there's an effort in France to actually drain the sign uh, in the area where they think that it, it may have happened to to try to find him, and they're using you know. Uh, radar to to try to locate anything strange and in in the sediment and who knows we might actually have it uh surfaced before long terrifying to think with the remains of the person still in it yeah that's the poor guy yeah jeff yeah our friend brian here Ooh. uh very much a uh uh how would i call you Uh, a (laughs) cathlophile? Cathlophile. i don't know the meaning of
1: that one uh I'm an enthusiast of, of the history of Christendom. Yes, we'll just yes. say that. perfect. Okay. Uh,
0: okay. In fact, when it came to doing our holiday season, mm. we decided we would do a holiday-themed episode before we actually got to Christmas, and we were going to do St. Nicholas. And Brian, if you haven't heard it, it was amazing. It was really fantastic. And you,
2: I bet.
0: Uh, I'm sure you probably got something else for us. <laughs> I did indeed. So we talked a lot about how,
1: uh, toward the end of the episode, that St. Nicholas had the um, Suarte Piette. Right, as one of his right. sidekicks, and there was a lot of controversy, controversy about that, especially in the Netherlands now, mm-hmm. because uh, the character wears blackface, and it was this whole uh, uh, very racist, unfortunately, um, deal. But that wasn't one of his only sidekicks. Um, after they had done away with the Piette, um, they had actually, in fact, given him a, a dog as a sidekick. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, w- it was a Saint Bernard. It was really, a Saint Bernard. Yeah, they called him Besnood the snood which uh a means snowy as it were really yeah it's kind of funny uh so he would be this second and the dog would actually pull the sled <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, which yeah. uh if you think about it it's kind of funny because dr seuss did that with the grinch stole christmas right hey, Max the sled yeah Yeah. so there was this little nod to really i <laughs> to that yeah i wonder if that was a direct influence over that uh, it probably was. That's yeah. crazy. Um, and uh, it was a very short-lived legend. It didn't really. That's too bad. Carry, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, think about it though. That may have sown the seeds of you know something pulling a sled. Well, no reindeer, for example. Wow. wow. Yeah. Only a well, safer was out of the
0: job. <laughs> yeah. If only they had tied that into uh, Beethoven, that would have been a much more interesting movie. Touche. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Touche.
1: And that brings us to our episode of Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Lyceum. Yeah. Which was all- our history of education.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about that in retrospect now and thinking about all the stories that I heard when I was growing up about my parents and my grandparents and how school was so different than it is now. Mm-hmm. There's one story that has always stood out. And my, my grandmother was left-handed, which I, you're... I've noticed. I mean, I've noticed you've been using your phone. Are you left-handed, yet Um, it can appear to be.
2: Yes, I am. Actually, I didn't want to say it out loud, but um, <laughs> there's no shame. Yeah, there's no shame.
0: I, I am. Unless uh, you were born 100 years ago, then apparently there was shame. <laughs> my grandmother, my grandmother, who was left-handed, was forced to have her hand tied behind no. her back when she was in school. And she would have to write with her right hand. She'd have to learn how to actually Can do this. Can she
2: write with her right hand now? Uh, she a, no, no, she's been
0: dead for about 15 years. Oh, oh <laughs>
2: <I'm> sorry. That's
0: <laughs> no, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> no, but uh, she then became essentially ambidextrous. Oh. Um, what was interesting, though, is that even though they were teaching this skill and they were essentially creating children who were ambidextrous, mm-hmm. those who already were were considered to have had an unfair advantage. And if Head you of the class. Yeah, well if you got in trouble, she there's a kid who was capable of doing this. They would actually tie both of their hands behind their back. Mm. Yeah. And they would use their, their mouth only. <laughs> to, so they would to actually, write. Like, they'd actually
1: like, to hold the pencil in their teeth. In their teeth.
0: Yeah. That's now of course nuts. they didn't have to do this all the time, but when they got in trouble, this was their punishment because Ooh. they were considered to have already been able to do both it's it's ridiculous. Well, I, know. I bet they were yeah, it's good for absurd, the yeah. whole yeah. season. <laughs> <laughs> But it was, it was you know, paramount to child abuse. But, uh, hey, you know, this was a long time ago. Yeah. 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 Jeez. Your grandma is very brave.
1: Well, you know, that brings us to our next episode, which was kind of a, a solemn one, because it was the history of human sacrifice and cannibalism. Yet it was one that we had uh, so much fun with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The What's Eating Hip. In David the was there. David, of course, was David, there as I think well. it
0: was the first time that David was... Uh,
1: yeah, it was. By did himself it, with us, it? Yes. Yeah, it was. It was. That was a great episode. And he talked about the whole Andes uh, plane crash yeah. uh, party. Ooh. And thinking, speaking of South America, as it were, uh, we, we had talked a lot about Excuse me. how uh, the Mesoamerican tribes, uh, human sacrifice was a big deal yes. to them. And they would do it you know, mass- Killings sure. and as a as a religious ceremony. The Aztec and the of Inca course. stand out in particular. Yep. Yeah, but going back even further, getting to the point where there is experimentation with the eating of of, of flesh. Uh, the Olmecs were cannibalistic, and it turns, out, or at least there was some pseudo cannibalistic, pseudo yeah. cannibalistic. But what they did uh, is they found odd parts of the body rare, so they actually found the ears to be quite a delicacy.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: So yeah. what they uh, what well, ears of their fallen foes. In particular, right. Those who were taken in battle, right. So they would, the ears would be, of course, cut off, the
1: bodies, and sorry, gruesome. But um, then they'd be laid out in the sun, to to dry, to, to dry exactly, yeah. and um, and they were just eaten like 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 snacks, like, like, snack, chips. like yes. potato chips, like, like uh, ear uh, chips, yeah, it was yeah. Doritos. Bizarre. Yeah.
0: Well, it makes perfect sense now because when I was at, in Mexico City and I was visiting the Museum of Anthropology, uh, they have a whole room dedicated to the Olmec, and so many of their statues were missing ears; uh, they had just been intentionally removed. Coincidence? And, well, I don't think so. I mean, it sounds to me like if I was uh, a vengeful conquered King. individual rising up against the Olmecs, I would want to remove the ears of the statues as kind of a
1: yeah I was getting my revenge yeah yeah yeah,
0: absolutely what's okay so it's so funny that we did that in our holiday season right <laughs> I know yeah. we, the,
1: we put the button on it though when we got to finally the history of Christmas which was like the episode I was the most excited about you were
0: you were jumping up and down
1: yeah. Do you,
2: uh, you like Christmas huh? oh my god you're a big fan yes and all through the house not a creature was stirring not even a mouse
1: that's right that's how it goes Yes, that's right. That is how the poem from Clement Clark Moore goes. Though no, actually, not so much. There's belief that he actually didn't write it anymore. Too, the major Livingston really? um, was the real author from from 1808. It hmm. actually precedes the real publicized poem by about 40 years. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. But um, anyway, uh, you were you you found a really cool factoid about uh, well, t-
0: t- tying cult- in directly into that. Actually, yeah. yeah the the original idea, the original poem that went out, it mentioned a lot about the chimney and the aspect with with Saint Nick coming down the chimney and delivering gifts, Uh, but it made also a reference to essentially, you know, well, it didn't make a reference directly, but it was implying those who didn't have chimneys would be in big trouble. Mm. And so children who were at homes without chimneys were taking it upon themselves to actually go out at night, you know, in winter, many times in the snow and wait for St. Nicholas and and try to get their presents. And what was happening was, quite unfortunately, the the death Ah. of many children. I mean, it was absolutely heartbreaking. And so, what you find at that time, though, from about the 1830s up until around the 1870s, 1880s, is this boom in fireplace construction. And the brick masons had essentially a 400% increase in, you know, job requests. Yeah. Because of all these children who were dying. I guess I'm not going to say it. I was going to say... Um, it's astounding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's very morbid, and I apologize, but I mean, but, it's 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 pretty incredible to see that tie-in. But uh, many fireplaces wow. were constructed in that time just because these kids were so desperate to, to see St. Nick or get, to get their presents. And had to keep them in the house. Also, they probably wanted to see... Uh, what, be Nude.
1: What's his name? Best, uh, best, best nude? Nude? Be nude. Best Nude. Not <laughs> Be Best Nude. Best Nude. Best Nude. Spliminal message <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: of course, the episode after that was an episode about jobs about the craziest jobs in history mm. uh, and there were some Acting. real um doozies <laughs> in that one. We talked a little bit about the the gentleman who was responsible for um taking care of the uh of the king's backside ah. after he had um been uh, to the facilities uh what's interesting though is in doing a little bit more reading into that, and I, I wish I had had it in the first episode, but in England, in particular, there was one who who would perform this function. But he would also, after the the king had you know urinated standing up, right. because the king was not to touch himself in that area; it was Ooh. unclean. Uh, he would then be the one who would shake his his genitals clean. Um, and and yeah, as oddly enough, this
1: was in fact came into practice with um, William and Mary yeah. right after the Glorious Revolution. Yeah, and uh, which is also <laughs> the original term wet willy came from wow yeah. yeah oh my god yeah uh
0: are you serious i, I am dead serious but it's just so
1: absurd that we think about it uh wow yeah. i mean
0: obviously it was probably a derogatory right i mean it wasn't, oh yeah it wasn't meant to be no <laughs> wow well all right history <laughs> there you go <laughs> now this one uh inspired of course by our our episode on the uh, on conspiracy theories I found this one recently, and it's 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 a doozy. But it's it's one hell of a conspiracy theory. And the funny thing is, I remember my grandfather talking about this when I was growing up because my grandfather was a mechanic. He loved working on cars his whole life, mm-hmm. and he always made sure that he had you know proper insurance for his cars. So who are the big insurers out there? Oh well, uh, well there's
1: there's uh, Geico, Geico, State Farm, State Farm, More,
0: uh All state. Farmers, All State, All state. Yeah aggressive uh, oh AAA. AAA, AAA, right AAA. I forgot that one. There is a there is a conspiracy theory out there that AAA is actually just a front organization. No. Yeah, that they do provide you know car insurance, but there's a whole other side of it on on the back end, and it's due largely to believe it or not the decline and prominence of the KKK. And I you know I know it sounds absurd, but yeah, it was it was. A, the the conspiracy theory goes that it was set up essentially as a money laundering front for the KKK. And if you think about it, have you ever walked inside one of those AAA places? Yeah. Okay, well of course Jeff Goldblum has. I mean, well, Jeff I Goldblum to. has probably um, done everything. You know? <laughs> I, I I never have. Brian, have you ever actually gone inside one? Never have. Yeah. Nope. I wonder what's going on back there. And you know, the the conspiracy states that that AAA is also you know, wasn't selected just on accident. It it its real meaning is the Amer- the Aryan association of America. So my grandfather, you know, who was a very open minded, uh, very tolerant person, he he hated AAA. And I never really understood why he had this deep seated hatred. And I think that it's all coming together now, which is why I have State Farm. So, you know, I'm, I don't know if it's true or not. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I will never get AAA. I mean, just based on these rumors alone, I don't even want to risk it. Uh, you know, I have AAA. I'm actually kind of
1: now considering whether I should keep with them or not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. No. <laughs> you heard it from Jeff Goldblum.
1: There you go. <laughs> you have to get rid of your AAA. Well, kind of awkward timing, but uh, then, then there was an episode on civil rights. <laughs> I know, episode. right? That was the following <laughs> yeah. episode. Uh, so, um, and we, we had, there was an interesting fact right there, because we talked a lot about, of course, uh, the landmark decision of Brown versus the Board of Education right. in 1955. Mm-hmm. And Thurgood Marshall was, of course, mm-hmm. the one of the arguing attorneys there and became the first African-American Supreme Court justice, but we... We didn't really share that he came from a very diverse background. His family was, of course, African American, but he grew up in a in a very ethnically diverse neighborhood. Yes. So he was uh, friends with a lot of a uh, lot of Japanese immigrants, a lot of Japanese Americans. Mm. Yeah, I remember and, hearing this. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's actually turns out he was very proficient in jujitsu. No, really? Yes, it was true that Thurgood Marshall actually knows jujitsu, and um, it was also said in <laughs> rumors, of course, but it was said that at uh, some points when there was. Conflict amongst the, the justices uh, about trying to get the, the right majority opinion uh, that he would in fact challenge them. It was not common to uh, hear throwing and thumping in the halls of the Supreme Someone Court. Someone was getting yeah. The clerks just up. paid no mind to it, but um, <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it was very rare, of course. But yeah,
0: well, no, I imagine that he would have used it just in defense. Uh, you know, just being as high profile as he was in the time sure. that, he, that he lived. That, Absolutely, you know, if he needed to defend himself, he would do it, and he would do it in a way that was very. Non lethal, that was very to just to subdue his attacker, which, exactly. you know, just screams, you know, justice. Justice. Screams <laughs> how progressive he was, exactly. exactly. And it's showing yeah. him
1: true justice, exactly.
0: Yeah. So kind of crazy, kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, now, we did our evolution episode. That was interesting. We had Kathy come in. That's right, Professor Schaefer's came on in, and our <laughs> actual, our first actual expert on the show, Our first actual expert. Now our first actual celebrity. We're hey. we show first, of course. You guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> She's great. She's fantastic. And we were talking. We had we actually did our cold open, kind of like what we did with you earlier, Jeff. Correct. We we did yeah. we always do a cold open with every show. Yeah, I love them. Uh, not to say that you aren't important, and have the honor of having Jeff Goldblum, no, Jeff Goldblum, excuse me, act on our podcast. I wouldn't think of it, but it was pretty incredible. We, we did this funny little joke about uh, tortoises, uh, right. the, Galatic, the Galapagos tortoises being eaten by the crew of the HMS Beagle. Ah. And I, was, I just came up with it. I was just being silly and funny. And in doing additional research, though, what we found was that you know some of the remnants of the, of the HMS Beagle, you know, which was very high profile after he got back, right. are, are in museums in England today. And they've actually found a, a tortoise shell. which makes sense because they were collecting samples and things of that nature what is bizarre though is that there are all these scrapings in and on the bottom of the shell and it was found among other cutlery and and cookware that was Uh, there and while we don't know if the turtles themselves were actually being cooked as soup uh it is believed that quite possibly they were being used at least as as containers for cooking the soup yeah it's clever wow
1: definitely clever
0: yeah, yeah. Did um, they say anything about having it f- served with fried finch at all? <laughs> I, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I'm getting hungry.
1: <laughs> wow. Um, well, then we got to one that you were particularly interested in doing, uh, which was our history of the voluntary isolation room. Oh, that's Ooh. right.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that would be a... You've uh, missed for the bathroom. Ah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. Well, of course, as you all know, I, I'm a huge fan lover of Egypt. I love Egypt. And I, you know, I don't know why I didn't mention it earlier, but have you ever noticed the depictions of ancient Egyptians? You you never really see them sitting down. That is correct, yeah. Very rarely. And when you do, you oftentimes see part of their bottom sticking out from underneath the chair. (laughs) And if you've ever been to a museum that has an Egyptian collection, if you've ever seen chairs from Egypt... They don't have an actual cushion or what have you. They just have a a hole in which you would sit on. Now, you might be implying that I'm talking about them using it as a toilet, but that's not true. What is very interesting, though, is of the upper class, of those people who would be painted and having this furniture, they would have papyrus toilet paper. And papyrus, I mean, was used for just about everything, so it was not a stretch of imagination that Mm -hmm. you could use it to to clean yourself down there. But the problem is that we believe there was so much irritation caused Mm -hmm. by the papyrus itself being used that... It was uncomfortable to sit. Rashes on deck. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh (laughs) and so, Um. you know, they had to fashion these chairs that allowed them to sit comfortably because their their posteriors were so um
2: It uh it makes brutalized. It does.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And then of course, you got sick and we had to do I had to do the one episode solo. It was yeah, that's the, right. The the short like ah. ten minute episode for Valentine's Day. On style, huh? So yeah, lovely. and the all by myself episode. Yeah, we found something really unusual, and well, you found it really, um, but it was involving a gift you would
0: give right during um, Valentine's Day. And uh, you know, we we know that the origins of Valentine's Day are from many different cultures, not just the Christian tradition, but also from ancient Rome, and there were feasts associated with it. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a practice on, on that feast to actually give, uh, give candy and to give uh, honey-covered dates, whereas we would kind of consider chocolates. And a fascinating parallel where we would place them in you know, boxes shaped like hearts, they would give an actual heart, the heart of a cow. Which, you know, had been taken out and cleaned, of course, and it would be how you would deliver the the candy to somebody, and it was considered quite romantic, to be honest. And, you know, you wouldn't waste it, of course. You would then afterwards remove the candy, and then you would cook the heart, and it would be coated with the sugar on the inside and honey, and it was actually quite quite delicious, almost like a seasoning. Yeah,
2: that actually sounds
0: pretty good. Yeah, (laughs) you know. No? Or maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All right, Jeff Goldblum. On our show. And that's where I got creepy. That's me. Wanting to eat hearts. Um, (laughs) No comment.
1: (laughs) Tell me, what are your feelings on the Temple of Doom? Ah, Indiana
0: Jones. I like it. Now, of course, we did our, after that, our mega episode egypt which i felt like it was my responsibility because i had missed the previous episode it was a a 2 part, right yeah i wanted to come back and i wanted to come back with a vengeance and so we did our our mega episode on egypt and there's a really interesting character from more current egyptian history right he was i wouldn't call him an archaeologist by any means but he was an explorer and his name was giovanni Balzoni, and he has a really interesting story he was actually an italian strongman Mm. originally by by trade and he kind of got the reputation for being able to move anything. And he was sent by the, you know, governments of Italy to Egypt to bring them back artifacts. And he also served this function for the French. And he discovered, you know, one of the most important discoveries in all of Egyptian history, which is the Temple of uh, Abu Simbel, which Ramesses II built down in um, near the Nubian border. What is not known very well by most people is that he also discovered quite interesting uh, this fascinating calendar right in the same area there, right in the, the temple of Nefertari, which was built right nearby. Hmm. And it, you know, we know that the Egyptians had 12 months, just like we did. And they laid them out in approximately 30 days or so. And they had a, a kind of grid-like structure formed with all the different dates on it. And above each month, though, was a different depiction, a different picture. Hmm. And it was absolutely fascinating because they were doing all sorts of stuff. It wasn't religious by any means. It was everything. It was, you know, cats on one and dogs on the other and all sorts of bizarre uh, things that you wouldn't normally find. Uh, and he took this back, literally cut it out of the wall, brought it back to the uh, the museum in Turin in, in Italy, huh. uh, where it remained in seclusion for years. Um, what's fascinating though, is that somebody who was cataloging the artifacts came across it, I believe it was in the 1920s or 1930s. I don't remember exactly. Uh, but he took inspiration from this to create one of the first picture calendars. That you can buy today. If you go to the mall, yeah. you know, there's all those little kiosks with them, yeah. and you just kind of fold up the next one. That was, but, that was his inspiration. do they have cats? I'm sure they did. Yeah. I believe, I believe at least one of the panels featured pro- prominently cats, mm. which is, I know, pretty amazing. So we owe our modern calendars, the kind that you buy in the store today, to the ancient Egyptians. There you go. Egypt is wow. a, a crazy place. That's crazy. Well, mm-hmm. you know, then,
1: of course, we got to the episode on the Pope. Yep, which we had uh, Pope Spock the first, and then yep. we had Sarah. part of Pope
0: Watch 2013, <laughs> which has been an ongoing theme for the show. Right, right. Pope-a-scope. Pope-a-scope. Pope scope, Pope scope. So, <laughs> uh, and of course, Sarah
1: was our guest star on that. But we found out something very. I found out something very interesting. Of course, the Pope being such a high profile figure, there were times where he would be, you know, potentially be his life would be in danger, right? And yes. Of course, he had the Swiss Guard. Of course. But they actually, up until I would say the 19th century. There was a weapon that the Pope was actually given. It was concealed. Really? Yeah. And it was for ter- circumstances when, if he was intact in places in public, uh-huh. when he was saying mass and he was completely vulnerable, um, that they had gotten past security. And so what they did is they took a small short sword, they put it in, this, in, a, in a much larger miter. Really? Uh, which would just look a little bit taller. And so what they would do is he would just very solemnly take off his miter and then pull the sword out.
2: Ah.
1: It was almost to symbolize that he was summoning, you know, great strength from from divine power by not pulling, a, reaching in the hat and pull it. And not, it was,
0: not a rabbit, though.
1: Not, <laughs> not, not a rabbit. No, <laughs> but it's funny though because um, that's actually what inspired J.K. Rowling to put the sort um, of Gryffindor in the Sorting Hat, was that in times of need, someone with true moral wow, strength and power would be go. able to to summon strength
0: from. Uh, Seemingly God. harmless object. Full it. circle. You. It's all all comes together. Oh, hello. That was fascinating. I mean, I guess that explains why the martyr has the kind of pointed top on it, yeah, you know, to, to conceal the... the sharp portion of the blade. I don't want that holding well, down. It also <laughs> represents the Old
1: Testament, and New Testament. But yes, let's yeah. let's go with that. I have a question. Did he ever use it?
0: Did he ever? He had... never actually had to use yeah, it. Yeah, I don't believe no? so. I think it was just for show. And That's you know, I, I can't imagine That's the Pope good. would actually go through with it. But you know, you never know. There were some pretty crazy popes <laughs> for back in the day. Uh, for for. A... Yeah, I don't think they ever taught papal fencing, so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, you you told me something earlier that I just found absolutely fascinating. And we have done a pretty recent episode where we're talking about uh, misconceptions and what have you. (laughs) Yeah, this one's really, really weird. One that I had heard recently, of course, it's a very common
1: conception that all the founding fathers of our country wore wigs. Right. Right. For many reasons. It was inherited from the British. Uh, it was done for health reasons, because of you know any sort of infestations in the hair,
0: very much like the ancient Egyptians, actually, they, yeah, they very much all so. the same reasons, yeah. yeah,
1: and of course, you got the different colors, right? The more white your wig was, the more astute your mm-hmm. status mm-hmm. was and and this is true, but there there's one part that's missing um it, as turns out, um, Martha Washington was also a big fan of wearing wigs, not again in common because she was a lady of stasis, stasis sure. as well,, Correct. but um what was more interesting is they found a memoir of hers mm. where she talked about all the intimate nuances of her marriage to George Washington. And it was turns out, very oddly enough, they were a fan of gender switching.
0: Really? Yeah,
1: no. yeah. They would actually first start with the wigs and switch them, and then right. they would, this, I feel dirty just saying this, but they would, uh, they would undress each other and put on each other's clothes. Oh my goodness. Yeah, which of course, knowing the thickness of colonial clothing, this yeah. would take about three and a half hours. Oh my God. That's a do. long
0: time. That's a commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently
1: there'd be some sort of odd game she would dictate rules about how the government should be formed and uh and George Washington would knit. Oh, yeah.
2: Wow. I wonder if there's uh, any of his quilts lying around somewhere. <laughs> I know, you know?
0: there's mislabeled quilts that are actually those of George Washington. <laughs> um
1: it's totally wild and of course very controversial because sure. we do we we like to deify uh George Washington as well and to see this very human aspect of him um It's would actually be,
0: kind of comforting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Gives them a sense of normality,
1: if you would. Yeah. Yeah. But as you can tell it could it would definitely uh shake up academia. So oh,
0: sure. Yeah. Well we're we're closing in, sure enough, on, on no. our most recent episodes. And uh of course we did a, a great episode on the history of film. Mm-hmm. Uh which was a wonderful compliment to our, our film podcast that we had. And you know, we, we talked a lot about television and film and things of that nature. We didn't really talk a little bit too much about science fiction and things of that nature, which no. are always a big interest of mine. So, even though it doesn't oh, have a direct yes. tie in, I still kind of want to mention it. Okay. Uh, just because I did find something really interesting lately that. Uh, are you familiar with Farscape at all? Oh, really? yes, 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 of course. I amazing show. Yeah. Well, they've been yeah. rumors of making
1: a Farscape movie for
0: a long time, so it's valid. Really? Yeah, well, they did. They did a made for TV movie after okay. the series ended. That's so, correct. Yes, uh, they did. whether they want to bring the whole cast back together, I would totally watch, but who knows what will happen. Uh, what is interesting, though, is that. They, in the show, have all these created swear words, all these, you know, alien swear words that they have. Right, And, And, of course,
1: the F word is uh, frill,
0: Frel. Frel. That's how you would say it if you were on that side of the the galaxy. But what I found absolutely fascinating is that in Denmark, it is against their policy to to air it on television uh, during, you know, like daytime hours. Because, apparently, frel is a Danish word. And it is not a nice word either. Ooh. Oh, really? Totally <laughs> by coincidence. It's actually a very rude term for the male genitalia. Well, ah, yes. I, I feel sorry for them over there, because Farscape... Mm, well, they, they can air it, but they have to air it late at night. Uh, it has to be aired after midnight. And it's so fascinating, because they actually bleep out fr- but because it's so publicized, people know about it already, and so you know yeah. they have to actually bleep it out, and wow. It's, it's, wow. it's pretty crazy. Wow. It's like yeah. a,
2: with uh, was
0: it Battlestar
2: Galactica? Uh, what did they right. say, frack, frack. That's right. Yeah, yeah. really too. Uh, and on that scene, uh,
1: no, I, I, you're showing your nerds so well, Mr. Goldblum.
2: I, you know, I try to hide it, um, but you know, with you guys, it's uh, well, we're honored. We're honored to be a nerd of your your stature. I'm honored to be here.
1: And we get to the most recent episode, of course. At two Goofy. at two Goofy. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Uh, Part one of Rome. Part one of Rome, exactly. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about, a large part about Julius Caesar, and a large part of the function of the Roman Republic.
0: Correct. Pre-Empire, the Republic, it's two counselors who were more or less in charge, but it's recently come out that there was a very important third piece to this puzzle.
1: Third piece of this puzzle. Arguably a third consul. Um, but it was more or less we talked about this before, the Pontifex Maximus, the, the, the religious leader of mm. the country. Of course pontiff is the base word for bridge builders what it means, and it's the basis for the word used by the Pope currently. Mm. But the Pontifex Maximus also kind of functioned as kind of third function. While the first consul legislated, the second consul militarized the empire. The third consul, the pontiff, would be more or less focused on the well being of the country. By well-being, I mean through, through merriment and through entertainment. Right. Uh, particularly the senators, when there was a very heated legal battle going on in Rome. The pontiff would have been called upon to, to kind of ease the tension. And he would do this through, you know, telling jokes, mocking the, the consul, mm-hmm. uh, the first consul. But also, the Roman historian Tacitus even documents a time where uh, the pontifex juggled
0: mm. as an entertainment. Ah.
1: Yeah, it kind of grew look, because it was the heads of... Uh, of slaves, unfortunately, this is of okay. course right around the time where gladiatorial combat was very, very popular. Right. right. So these would be freshly chopped off heads from the Colosseum, going deliberately, you know, what I assume would be some form of wheelbarrow down to the Senate, to the Forum, and where the Pontifex would juggle them. Yeah, yeah that's it's kind of crazy.
2: Hey, whatever wow.
1: entertains you, right? I'm yeah. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've certainly there was there was also a chapter about uh one time trying to set the heads on fire, oh. but. Uh, <laughs> He burned himself,
0: apparently. Ah, uh, that's too bad. Unfortunate. Very unfortunate. This is our 30th episode. This is wow. our 30th episode. And thus far, we've had 29 factoids. I'd like to just quickly offer up a final one. Go ahead. One to end the episode, our 30th one. One that I found to be absolutely fascinating. Orville Redenbacher. Mm. You're familiar. Yes. yes. I love their popcorn. Exactly. Mm. Pioneer mm. of popcorn. Mm. But a much deeper and darker history than anyone really had ever known before. And this is just this has come out pretty recently as well. And, and it's, it's kind of shocking, but Orville Redenbacher was not born Orville Redenbacher. Redenbacher, true, yes. His first name was Frank. Frank. Frank Redenbacher. And he actually was not born in America like it is believed. He was born in Germany. He was born in Munich. And he was born in a time when the Third Reich was, you know, ah. just kind of getting started. And he served as an officer in, in Hitler's army. Oh, no, 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 I know. I know. Uh, he was a scientist. He was quite learned and quite quite intelligent. Uh, and he was actually working with data that had been stolen from the Russians concerning microwaves. Microwave radiation and what have you, All and right, experimentation bro. with that. And he was working for the German military at the time. And when the Third Reich fell, uh, obviously he was afraid that, you know... The Americans were going to yeah. come in and sweep him up and, and use him to, to develop you know, weapons or things of that nature. You mm-hmm. know, A lot of very prominent uh, Nazis tried to escape either because of war crimes or because they didn't want to be used for you know, their scientific knowledge or whatever it was, right? And many of them fled to South America. In fact, a lot of them ended up in Brazil. And he attempted to do exactly that, but unfortunately, through a confusion, uh, he ended up boarding the wrong plane. And he did end up in Brazil, but he ended up in Brazil, Indiana, in America. And he went completely unnoticed. Oops. I mean, I know. He was able to make <laughs> it into America very <laughs> non-suspecting. And, you know, he was a big fan of American movies. And so he had developed a pretty decent American accent, just kind of listening to people like, you know, right, right. You know, the, you know like film actors. Film actors, like Clark exactly. Gable or. Clark Gable, or what have you. And he was able to pass. Um, he then just kind of blended into this small town and assumed the identity of this Orville. Redenbacher and created this whole backstory for him. Uh, He spent years after the war, about five years or so, selling fertilizer and trying to stay as a very unsuspecting individual, only to later develop a real knack for his science and want to take it to to a business and started a business in the 1950s. And he would continue under this guise of Orville Redenbacher up until his death in 1995. Uh, But it's come out recently now that he was in fact uh, you know, he was never accused of war crimes, but he—he he definitely was one of those uh, escaped Nazis that uh, probably would have ended up in prison. Well, I tell you what, that won't stop me from uh, having some of his uh, kettle corn. That's for sure. I don't know. I'm—I'm yeah. I'm a little nervous now. I don't know if I'm going to be uh, buying uh, Redbacher popcorn any longer. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'd go with Act One anyway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> better butter. Yeah, um, Brian. Eric. Eric. Who is this? In the room with us. Wait a second. Huh. I He, he sounds a out. hell of a You're lot. You're not Jeff
1: Goldblum.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry. What is going on here? I just, I just saw the door was open, and I came in. My lord. <laughs> are you trying to tell our listeners that for this entire episode, you have not been Jeff Goldblum? I, sometimes I was. At certain moments, I was definitely Jeff Goldblum. Who, who are you?
2: My name is uh, Tariq Bryant. <laughs>
1: and, yeah, uh, the man who, of course, gave that wonderful hip hop song we did in the last episode. Yeah, the last episode. Thank you for
0: that. Hey, well, thanks for coming on the show. Thank Surprise, you for April Fools, me. Yeah. <laughs> ladies April and gentlemen, on
1: everything because whatever you just heard was total bullshit.
0: <laughs> 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 if you hadn't figured it out by the end of the episode by now, uh, it was uh, as Brian said, total bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a double but swear fine. in one episode. <laughs> we, we never even really do that, do we? But, uh, yes, everything you heard was completely and totally fabricated. But and fascinating. I, I, if you didn't figure it out, I would say by... AAA A. Triple A. Now that you know the truth about AAA, A. I
1: think we didn't figure it out by that point. Yeah. Uh, like if that wasn't the dead giveaway.
0: <laughs> I apologize for those of you who who literally stopped the episode and then went and canceled your AAA <laughs> because of this. Uh, also, I'd like to apologize you personally.
1: Re- you can usually reinstitute it within like twenty four hours. So, oh, good.
0: So that's good. <laughs> well. I'd like to apologize personally on behalf of Neur- Neuronomi to Orville Redenbacher, <laughs> to the family of the Washingtons, <laughs> to the uh, country of Sweden. Uh, I'd also like to apologize to any remnants of Giovanni Balzoni's family. As well as William Shakespeare's. As well as as William Shakespeare. (laughs) Actually, Thurgood Marshall, we actually... That was pretty cool. I don't think I need to apologize to his family, because him having jiu is... He just
2: earns cool points. Exactly. That'd be
0: awesome. Uh, Apologize to the Olmec uh, civilization. I know you're not around anymore, but uh, I want to say special I'm sorry to you. Who else here? Uh, I'm not too concerned about Da Vinci... Um, I'm sure the Adams might have some family left. Abigail Adams, yeah, if they you do. have any family. Again, I totally made that up. I'm sure she was a wonderful woman. I actually admire her. Uh, and I'm sure she didn't collect any erotic art. Um, <laughs> Who knows? And, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for apologies we have to make. <laughs> um... I had such fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the most fun I've had doing on yeah, history. This was pretty crazy. And, ladies and gentlemen, of course, this is our 30th episode. Guys,
1: literally, please don't take our word for it this yeah, episode. Really, do not. don't. We
0: highly <laughs> advise you to not take our word for it. Everything you heard was total garbage. But thank you, Tariq, for coming on the show. Thank you for thank having you, me. Thank you for, thank for you keeping us, for having this. This is amazing. What you guys have built is great. Well, thank you very much, sir. It means a lot to mind. us. We appreciate that. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to, uh, of course, uh, if you still are interested in, in listening to the on we history, haven't totally, like, shredded our credibility <laughs> yeah. by this point. Um, uh, you can go to our website, you course, can find all of, dot our, com. all of our, all of our, both our podcasts on the Neurotomy channel there, uh, in addition to listener feedback, so if you enjoyed the episode, if you had a lot of fun, or you have a fake fact from history that you'd like to give us for a future episode, go ahead and leave us some feedback. We would love to to hear
1: from you. Of course, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Nerdonomy. And uh, with that, guys, have a wonderful week.
0: I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Eric Brickmont. I'm Tariq Bryant. And we will be back next week with actual history. (laughs) Take it easy, folks.